Hello, and welcome to episode 295 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page, one panel at a time. In this episode, we have an interview with Devin Kraft, comics creator and artist. This is Matt. I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Devin, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Let's do as we normally do when we start off. Let's do uh, two things we ask for. We ask for a quick bio and an elevator pitch for this awesome book that's in shops now from Behemoth Comics. Okay, awesome. Um, quick bio. Uh, my name is Devin. I'm from uh, Roswell, New Mexico, originally, uh, Land of the Aliens. Um, I've been drawing comics pretty much since high school. Uh, I got to live in Japan for a bit, so I got to study uh, manga kind of firsthand, like that whole market. Um, lived there for a bit, got a degree in film and digital media from Baylor. Uh, filming seemed really hard to get like permits, so I was like, well, I'm going to tell my stories through comics. Um, you know, I always drew in all my classes and was kind of passionate about the medium and so I was like, okay, I can go with something that I have to fill out a lot of permits and get a lot of permission for, or my imagination could be my own lim- only limit. Um, from there, kickstarted my first comic, Neverender, in I think it's 2012. Um, ran eight more Kickstarters or seven more Kickstarter campaigns after that and published uh, three kind of double-sized issues of Dragon Slayer. And then I did three issues of Silence, also I think double-sized. And then my current project is Neverender, which I got two issues in before uh, Behemoth picked them up. That's awesome. So Neverender was a Kickstarter originally. That, mm-hmm. That's where it started out. Yeah. So I kickstarted uh, like I've I've never kind of waited for permission. I've always just wanted to like create and connect with an audience directly. Um, so I did a double-sized first issue. I did a double-sized second issue, which um, for Behemoth, because it's kind of difficult to keep publishing double-sized issues, we split up uh, issue two and issue two and issue three. Um, and yeah, at, when I was working on, it was issue four of the Behemoth run, um, I started putting, pitching it out to publishers. And the same day I pitched it out to Behemoth, they're like, don't go anywhere, we want that. Nice. So that was pretty exciting. That's awesome. So uh, you studied film, were you, was that sort of your, like, did you have, like, did you make comics growing up? Like, I know you said you drew and stuff, but did you like have sort of split passions between film and comics or did you sort of come to comics? Uh, like when you said, like sort of after you realized it, it, t- it would take a lot of work to make movies. No, uh, very much split passions. Comics kind of uh, predated film. Um, in high school, I, I worked on, a, like with me and my uh, best friend, who's a very talented artist, uh, Logan Pack. He does really amazing covers and stuff. Um, him and I, I would write comics, he would draw them. Um, and we did like five issues of like a neo-noir, uh, Alice in Wonderland inspired, like, kind of or not neo-noir yeah neo-noir kind of sort of like a john woo film but in comic form um it's it's weirdly close to like cowboy bebop like i hadn't seen that yet but when i when i saw cowboy bebop i kind of like i was like all right what am i doing um but we did five issues of one story there um i think i was working on a few more issues of that in college kind of throughout college i was always working on comics but film was my uh original passion like screen screenwriting um but comics I, I, even throughout college i think i put more time into comics than film but that's really cool and then i read the intro to dragon slayer and you said you worked in the film industry for a bit were you uh what what what, what aspect did you work uh when you were in film 
so I was I was pretty novice out of college and it was like right during the uh the 2008 collapse pretty much um so I did a little bit of set dressing for there's a really low budget horror film I think it got called don't blink in the end it changed names a bunch but it's got the uh the bully from Christmas story Brian Austin Green um uh Red Power ranger that i wasn't familiar with um so uh it's an interesting uh horror film but uh, i think it's on netflix or somewhere but i did like set direction on that um i did and then just kind of random roles mainly pa or set direction uh nothing nothing too crazy cool That's did awesome. you ever want to grab the bully from a christmas story and just hold him to the ground and just pummel him oh, and man. just say words that were close to cuss words but weren't actually cuss words dude exactly exactly that uh <laughs> the the shoot was really really tricky uh it was in the snow and like he was kind of one of the producers and so like one day this wasn't his fault but like one day we had to like clear the scene of all the snow and then another day we had to bring the next day we had to bring all the snow back in um also i was this was my first time i kind of got like pushed up through the ranks because other people left so like i went from being a pa to set direction and then my boss got some sort of a, a bump up in terms of responsibilities so every night we'd work 16 hours then i would have two or three hours to procure props for the next day and i think that working relationship kind of graded on both of us so there was a day where like he was frustrated and i was like oh my god this is the christmas story <laughs> you know like <laughs> i found myself in real life christmas story territory you know <laughs> put your snow back <laughs> you know but no he's he's probably fine it was just a month in the in the snow it was a hard hard shoot that's amazing yeah yeah so 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 one thing you said that was interesting to me was that you were talking about how you sort of never waited for permission mm -hmm. um and that like you know you started off in in kickstarter land um, which is, you know, a trajectory that a lot of indie creators have where they, you know, you maybe you reach out at first and you get a bunch of no's and you're like, hey, I'm just going to do this on my own. But then you build a little bit of success. You, you, you show that you can put the work in and then you go, go back to publishers. Do you think that that was uh, like a bonus to you that like you could go to a publisher, um, you know, at this point where you're like, hey, you know what? I was I was pitching you when I didn't have anything and you know I was getting no's but now I'm pitching you again where I have this thing that's a proven product that I've showed you that I'm putting the work in I can produce it you know it's a it's a it's a you know, it's a viable product do you, do you think that was a benefit to you I'm sure it helped with behemoth um prior to that I really didn't pitch much um primarily what I would do is like I didn't really worry about publishers because I was like either people will see it you know, and like be interested or I'll make it like, I'm going to make it either way. So um, like now that I'm a little bit older, I, I'm curious if I should have been like for the next project, I might do a few more pitches before committing, but I tend to just lock in because I like to be working. So I tend to lock in for two or three years stints and just, I kind of treat them like films, but it's, you know, just me doing a decathlon. I was actually going to ask about that because I was started reading as I started reading, um, silence and i i felt this sort of cinematic quality to it and i kind of like the idea that you're um 
you're sort of like right like you know you're you're not really i mean it doesn't seem like it's going to be like an ongoing story it seems like you are clearly setting up a beginning middle and end Mm -hmm. you know story so i I was curious about like yeah how much how much of that was your film background and uh and how that affected your sensibilities and storytelling i think a lot of it like and it's, it's partially film it's partially the stories i like best uh have clear arcs like you I guess every story is somebody raising their hand and saying something and I want to hopefully like be respectful of an audience's time I've never looked like that's not to say there aren't like good serialized comics but most serialized comics are good for as long as they can be and then something will take them out of commission a writer change an artist change um book gets canceled you know, same with sequ- uh, sequential or not sequential, but like narrative storytelling, like uh, TV shows that make it two seasons and don't make it to the end. So I like to kind of know where I'm going from the jump and then try to get the audience there at the end. And hopefully everything's building to a point. Um, so that's that's always kind of how I've approached it. Uh, you know, I, I'm hopefully saying something with each each piece uh, about the human condition that people resonate with. Yeah, I mean, I can see that, especially uh, I didn't get too far into Dragon Slayer, but definitely from what I read in Silence and definitely what I've read in Never Ender, it seems like you are trying to craft unique characters who all have unique personalities and unique motivations. And they uh, they clash with or they either clash or they align with other characters, which I think is really cool. Mm. Um, and uh with uh, like when you're when you're writing it out, like where where do you start with it? Like, do you start with characters or do you start with concept? How do, how does the story form in your head? Sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's aesthetic. Sometimes it's theme. Um, I'll do I'll do Neverender since uh, one of the things that I saw you guys were were uh, had on the the list was like a short synopsis. Um, Neverender. I actually did a version of it in 2010, right after I I graduated college. Um, and it was a very different kind of story than it was a little bit more navel gazy, kind of like, uh, do you guys know the manga artist Matsumoto Tayo? No. He did a uh, ping pong, tech on King Creed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All of his stuff is very cerebral. Like it's very, uh, navel gazy is like sort of the pejorative term, but it's very introspective and like soft. I don't know how to explain it, but like his, his stuff is always very like, uh inward looking and so the first version of this i wanted to do star wars by way of solaris Um, so i wanted to i wanted to do something that was a little more um internal as opposed to external and kind of a more psychological battle um and so in kind of sussing out that story i was like okay what if there were you know what if you were an astronaut and you had you could like gear it up with like samurai armor and all you had to do was cut the other person's armor open and so i kind of started with an aesthetic on neverender kind of a feel and then i kind of like I love I love Seiji and Suzuki's films like um he's the guy who did the like like Branded to Kill um Tokyo Drifter all the stuff that influenced Kill Bill all the anything with the list you know like uh No More Heroes is very Seiji and Suzuki so I love like we've got five people on the list and we got a mission um because it just gives the audience a very clear hierarchy of like it's a roadmap I like roadmaps I like rules I like like logical uh, you'll see that in both of them, but I like like a clear mission from the outset. It's like a promise. Um, so Neverender, I, I started there where I was like, okay, we've got this these astronauts, these astronaut combatants, not necessarily samurai, but the samurai was where I started with, like taking a NASA outfit and putting samurai armor over it. And I was like, okay, like working backwards, 
what is a story I resonate with? And I, I had a different starting point for the first, the first take of Never Ender in 2010, which is a very different book. But for the new one, I tried to choose a kid who was just very rough and tumble, who like, like basically the whole world beats up on him. His, his dad beats up on him. His teacher beats up on him. He's in basically this world's equivalent of Kowloon Walled City, like couldn't be poorer, couldn't have less opportunities, you know, and he dreams of joining this sport. And we've seen kind of that narrative, but I wanted to take this kid from like the lowest depths to the, the highest highs. Um, and so I kind of started with this, like, what does societal rebellion look like? And how do you make like the best arc? Like what is the most corrupt society and who is the best rebel and kind of just bridge those together. So that makes sense. Yeah. So that was that was really interesting. As somebody who tends to be a concept first writer, I liked how you sort of work backwards. Like you had like this imagery that like fed into a concept, and then you're like, you know, this is really cool. This is astronauts with samurai gear. But then you're like, you know, you when you told us, they're like, hey, you know, I need to put this kid in a situation to make us care about him and have some you know some things that he's working against some things that we're going to make him root for is is do you tend to work that way like concept all right but now i need to make you like care about the character i need to give them some difficulties i need to give them something that like makes them like you know rootable for and stuff like that is is that a way that you work sometimes on story yeah so i try to i try to like but like the audience's mileage may vary and resonance is different from person to person. But um, I heard this term a while back that like, like good art's embarrassing, you know? So I try to find a thing or an element in my life. That's like a thing I want to analyze. Um, and so for me, like technically I'm a good kid. I come from like Rosa, New Mexico, like went to a, went to like a Christian school. So like, I really couldn't get in much trouble. Like, mm-hmm. You know, like they're like, like I, I like my worst transgressions are like rate, like uh, renting rated R movies too early. Like <laughs> I never got into like any trouble, but I'm like super ADHD um, and clearly talkative. So in, in classes, I would get in trouble. I'd get in like minor scuffles and then I would like question, okay, why are these the rules? And that just drives people nuts. So um, I started kind of looking at like, so, like I, I definitely empathize with people who who critique society who you know like anything worth having is worth bearing criticism so um i kind of wanted to do a book about what if like I, most people try to write a better version of themselves and merrick isn't necessarily like a worse version of myself but i was like okay what if you take the good graces out you know what if like what if everything is is worse you know and what if everything's a bit more primal um you know, what, what does it look like to have a, a physical avenue of lashing out against society uh, that's sort of sanctioned by society as well? So uh, that was that one. And then, and then Silence was kind of uh, about music. And so it was kind of like, it was sort of like, what if you have to go save someone near and dear to you, but like you've been estranged? And so I kind of wanted to, to mix music in and... Um, you know, I just I try to take myself a little bit out of my depth to where there's something that's like technically embarrassing, but like I don't know. You know, it, it's all it, like I don't know if the audience resonates with it. I just always I think good stories are stories that go a little past where people are comfortable, uh, a little past where the audience is comfortable. Um, 
you know, like Garth Ennis does crazy stuff all the time. If we read a Garth Ennis story, like it doesn't shock us probably as much as he intends it to. But if you like had a friend who was like, oh yeah, I got this character who got AIDS through a blood transfer. You're like, geez, man, you know, or whatever. So, <laughs> uh, but, but the audience has seen so many crazy things that you kind of have to keep it at a 15. So um, I try to push past where I'm comfortable and see what happens. I think. Yeah. And that, that kind of uh, never ended that kind of, fits in the visual world of the of the book as well like I feel that that sort of philosophy is sort of in there because there's no like uh, like there's obviously like your visual consistency but like no character looks the same Mm -hmm. and and it's and and I really like that that like no one's armor looks the same no one's like spaceship no one's room looks the same that really sort of challenges you when you're sort of like say it challenges the reader like it keeps my mind very active when I'm reading the book to have like the backgrounds not always be the same or the the costumes not always be the same and so it always just sort of I don't know that dialed up to 15 does keep my attention mm-hmm. and uh and I was curious about that like you know what what was sort of the idea behind sort of having this world visually you know that's obviously like you know it, again it, there's sort of there are unifying shapes and stuff but then just everything is like not you don't never sort of meet the same character twice does mm. that make sense to what i'm asking yeah, I yeah yeah um i think variance is is kind of spice of life the cool thing is uh so like one of my one of my other kind of influences and this will kind of help unlock it and the approach but i always loved like armored core uh and like how they would have like the versus mode there's like masters of the arena that would have just a hundred fighters with crazy names um you know like wild nines or whatever breaker i think or whatever um and i love like a lot of this is kind of my love letter to like 90s playstation games um but in that like you could take a name and then you have a jumping off point so if it's like sprinter it's like okay let's do something with like the legs like anything can be ideally you create a framework that can encompass anything like someone can be like you know high toker 420 and you can be like all right let's roll with that you know he's got gas powers or whatever you know like um you create a you create a bubble big enough that anybody's creativity can fit in it because there'll be silly fighters there'll be you know serious fighters every there in between fighters for money um honestly like when i'm doing sketches i try to invent a new fighter each time i try to just like follow the shapes and automatic draw and see like what i'll get but um yeah so i'm I'm trying to create a lot of variants i'm trying to create like a lot of different characters and world elements and hopefully make everything visually distinct like the kowloon walled city you know needs to look a little bit different than uh, a stuffy spaceship um so I'm trying to kind of create as much contrast and pop as I can. Yeah, it definitely comes through in that way. Um, what, uh, so when you're like, like there was one part that I really liked and I wanted to ask about you, about that part specifically, as far as like the variance goes. And it's when, uh, well, I'll just, I won't spoil anything, but like, you know, when you first get to the space station, there are some mechs and I really like how, both mechs are different from each other like they clearly look like they're made by the same manufacturer but each one like sort of says something about whoever's using it at the time and one of the new main characters is driving one so that's when i noticed it and then sort of like flipped back through the books and i was like oh wow like no one's armor is ever uniform you know Mm -hmm. or anything like that throughout the whole book like it's just sort of uh yeah there's a lot of variance in there Mm -hmm. 
yeah, kind of kind of constantly creating ad hoc elements. Uh, part of the book also follows uh, Merrick through various stages in his career. So each two issues, you'll kind of see roughly, you'll see a little bit of a time jump to kind of see where he's at. So it's kind of fun because like he starts out like uh, issue three. I mean, it's I think it's pretty fair in the synopsis that the main character is going to end up in the dueling ring. But, um, you know, he starts off with this this uh, NASA suit that has like cut holes in it and it's barely functional. But as he finds a stable, like you start to see him get a little bit more armor, a little bit more protection. And then eventually, you know, he kind of rocks up to the full. I, that was the other fun thing. I started with the samurai armor when I did this in 2010. And this one, I was like, I was like, okay, I'm going to like, that needs to be where he gets. I have to write the prequel. Like, let me start and then get to the point that I want to get to. Yeah. And um, so uh, when we are like the sort of backup short stories, I think there's one in issue one and then I think one at the end of issue three where you have mm -hmm. sort of these like fights. Is that were those things that were carried over from the first comic in 2010? Yes. And there was one that got clipped due to page count um, for issue three that I'll probably post up pretty soon because it's uh, it's a foreshadowing for issue five. Actually, if you read the digital copies, I think you got the short story. OK, because um, like, I remember there, there are two that I read. Yeah. Second one's uh, foreshadowing for issue uh, five, but I think it got cut. So I might do a digital release on that um it's okay it was just kind of a page count thing and it was like okay we can like bump up a whole another chunk of pages or we can shrink down and i was like this might be something i can kind of pass out to people yeah you get the you get some really cool costumes in those backups you get kind of get to see the uh the duels and how they work and uh that that that's such it's a really fun way to expand the world mm -hmm. I wanted to make it like if I if I had a bit more time, kind of um, I wanted to sort of just follow other fighters like, you know, it follows Merrick's story. But I think each each fighter has a thread. Um, and that's kind of what the first three issues is, is following two people as they kind of connect. Um, but I really wanted to kind of create a whole lot of loose ends that I could build off of if I ever need to. Um, I'm thinking going forward, if I can swing it, I'd love to build more stuff in this world. Uh, you know, just kind of tie this into like, just this kind of be a, a, if I do stuff in a sci-fi universe, at least I have all this groundwork that's built and, you know, at least I have the space society and all that stuff kind of intact. So one question I would have for you as somebody who is handling so many parts of the creative process, you know, I mainly function as, as a writer, um, so I can write like a full script and hand it off to somebody like Noah. But for, for you who's handling the, the story, the writing and the art, do you maybe take some shortcuts when you're writing out the, the script, figuring like, all right, I'm going to figure this out when I'm thumbnailing the page and stuff like that. Like, I don't necessarily need to be like, page one, panel one, you know, like you're like, all right, this is what I want to accomplish on the page. And that's where you figure it out. Or do you actually sit down and go full script so that when you sit down to, to draw, then you're like, all right, I could turn off this sort of phase of my creative mind. And I've already done that. And now I'm going to put this to, you know, paper or, or, you know, some sort of digital format. Mm. Uh, I've tried both methods. So for silence, I think for Dragon Slayer, I might have written it out. Um, 
uh, for silence i definitely remember i think the first issue i drew it out and then wrote it and then i for issue two i think i did a full script just because i was like i want to plan and paste this uh so for neverender um i have a day job and so uh i work from from eight to five every day take a nap and then start from seven to nine and so to make sure that i can kind of i promised myself that if i took this job i would like keep comicking because i was freelance before this and so i wasn't going to let it like slow down my progress um but like conventions would slow down my progress because uh, that's what i was doing for a living so i was like okay in a given week i'm lucky to get two or three days but if i draw every night and then draw on the weekends i'm getting two or three days and i don't have to travel a lot um so what i've been doing is uh i'll take notes i'll kind of create an outline of like these are the story beats that need to happen uh, I might not have the exact dialogue, but I'll have like, okay, this needs to be set up because this is happening. This needs to be set up because that's happening. Then I'll go through uh, and then illustrate it out and then kind of go back in and, and do dialogue. Um, and very rarely have I needed to like re-update the art or change pages, but I'll know that like, okay, this is, this is roughly like the third act of this arc, you know, um, like this needs to happen here, here, and here. So uh and i have like just this document full of notes where it's like okay here's like a dialogue stem that could play here you know and hopefully i've found a good emotion and built around that but um a lot of it's keeping myself busy because if i don't know what i'm going to draw each night then i won't make forward progress and so i just don't want to risk artist block or losing momentum so it's like okay this is the page let's figure it out Wow. So forgive me for not knowing this, but are you lettering the book as well? Yeah. Um, so penciling, uh, I wrote it, penciled, ink, lettered it. I have my friend uh, Lun and uh, one of his friends, Maya, uh, doing tones. Um, I'll do like some slight tweaks and some slight touch-ups. Uh, for the last few issues, I'm doing full colors with the help of a flatter. Um, and then book design, you know, promo, kind of the whole, the whole gamut. So, I was going to ask about what the tones, because I saw that credit at the beginning of the books, and I was actually just going to ask about that. So yeah, thanks for answering that question, because that's, so does that mean that they go in and put in like the textures and things on the pages, or what What, what does that mean? Mainly just a black and white pass at colors. Um, my friend Lun is, I've worked with him since Dragon Slayer, um, him and Jake. So the cool thing about uh, Jake and Lun is when I first moved to Dallas, there was a group of comic creators uh, called Space Gun Studios. So it's Jake, uh, Jake Ekis, uh, Vin Lun Liu, Matthew Warlick, um, Paul Milligan, and then Evan Bryce Cranston. And so they're this, this team of uh, comicers in Dallas who are kind of my, my mentors. And, uh, you know, it's very hard to comic. Um, they were the first people I've ever seen who had like full IPs, like, you know, their books were professional. Um, and so uh, I learned a lot from them. And so like, this is kind of the first opportunity I got. And I was like, I'm bringing as many of them as I can on, on this book. Um, and so Jake basically edited it. I took, I, I got pretty far in the story. I got about halfway. And then I was like, hey, this is what I'm working with. Um, and I was like, okay, like what, what have I promised the audience? Uh, what are you expecting? What do you think you'll see? How can I disrupt that without throwing off the story? Um, and Jake gave me some really, really cool ideas. So like, he, he was like, he's like, here's something you could do. I was like, oh, that is exactly on point with the theme. And so he kind of 
built backwards from that. So the back half is very much thanks to him kind of helping me work through some stuff. And then Lund will do the tones. I put on the textures uh, and then there's a lot of effects where it's just, it would take a bit to explain to somebody. So as long as I kind of get the textures, I'll go back and uh, do some shading or some splatters or lettering or whatever. Um, but Lund, Lund makes very cool color choices that I wouldn't sometimes. And that's what I like. Cause I'm like, oh, I never thought that the scene could be dark or backlit. And he's like, really? You know, and so uh, uh, it, it makes me like the art more because it's like if I do the same thing the same way, I won't get new results. But Yeah, how would you describe the the tones in, in Never Ender? Because I was trying to think of it today because it's not strictly speaking black and white. Like there is some color in there. Mm -hmm. well, what, how, how do you how do you describe the, the, the color? Retro futurist vibes. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a diehard fan of like uh, Ashley Wood's comic output and like he does some really great things with like tone and texture and like it's kind of silly because the amount of time it takes to do tones you could just be fully coloring it almost um, but I do love uh, it, it's a retro futurist story that deals with very stark morality so it all kind of starts off black and white and then I think it helps I think having the tones kind of helps the audience know when there's like a page jump or a scene change um and so i try to choose these like jade hues like kind of desaturated blues desaturated pinks um anything that kind of jives with this little bit of retro futurism to kind of push the story uh you know in a pulpy interesting direction yeah i love that i love the feel of it it's got such a great mood to the artwork mm -hmm. um and i also love how some uh, you have a very um and you've probably heard this a lot, but you have a very like Hickman sensibility to you with like the design of things and how you sort of integrate in, uh, well, you obviously you integrate in like these great designs and motifs uh, throughout the book design, but then also you have these moments where, you know, panels will be seen almost like through a screen. Mm -hmm. You'll have this great like flicker over it and it's, uh, it adds like texture to the world almost. Mm -hmm. The, the funny thing, like I'm a big fan of Hickman's uh, writing and his book design. Um, it's not an influence, but it's like it's not I, I am interested with what he's doing. It's funny because I pre-ordered Decorum like forever ago, did two issues of uh, Neverender and then Decorum comes. And I'm like, oh, well, that's what I was doing. You know, <laughs> um, someone I think I heard someone else say that. And it's it's funny because like Decorum's a gorgeous book and Huddleston kills it. Um, but I'm like, man, this is a lot, like, there are a lot of similarities that I couldn't have accounted for, but I do very much enjoy. Um, Hot yeah, take. I, I like your book more. Oh, the hey. was too slow for me. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, your book is great. It grabbed me right away. Um, thank you. Decorum, <laughs> I, Matt was very nice. He gave me like the first issue, but it was a slog. It was like, the art's great. The design's great, but it just was like, I was like, all right, come on, let's get to it. So there's, there's a lot. Your to book it. at least began with like violence. I was like, okay, I, I understand this. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. The definitely has all those. I'm only halfway through it. So I can't speak to how it ends, but like, I see the core story, but then there's like 20 pages of like world building. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know if I'm in the world yet. Um, but like I love like I love the art. I'm really curious like where it'll go. And I'm sure if I like really enjoyed it, there's a lot to kind of go through. But I'm someone who like sees all those pages is like, cool. I don't I don't got time. You know. Yeah. So. I'm like, I didn't come to this book to read. I just yeah, want to yeah, look yeah. at the pictures. 
Yeah. I mean, the Huddleston art. <laughs> yeah. Um, so with um, Never Ender, uh, so did you, you reached out to Behemoth mm-hmm. with the book. Mm-hmm. And um, that, like, what was it like? Did you guys, did you have to negotiate to get that like oversized first issue or were they totally game with that? They're, they're down. Um, they're a really cool publishing company. They love to take risks. And so uh, they were down right off the bat. The only reason we didn't do uh, an oversized second is it's just difficult to get people to kind of lock in. My, my original vision was going to be because uh, I was doing one Kickstarter year. Um, and every time I do a Kickstarter, I do like a, an animated video. Uh, I, you know, do all the promo myself. I do all the fulfillment myself. And this is on top of a job. So every Kickstarter is like a three-month ordeal on top of the, the time it took during the year. Um, so my original plan was to do five double-sized issues. And, you know, like with an indie book, it's kind of harder to get an audience to jump on board with that. So how we've broken it out is uh, first one's double-sized, uh, second and third got, or second issue got broken, second, third, uh, fourth issue, fifth issue, sixth issue. And then we're going to take a break to let me like really polish off the finale. Um, but f- from my understanding, we're going to do uh, Never Do the Final Duels and do the finale as a three-issue series to kind of cap it off, which is good because issue seven isn't double-sized, but it is a little bit bigger. Um, Because it's very difficult, like one of the things, uh, you know, telling a story like this, you need to introduce the fighter, you need to breathe life into them, and then you need to set up the conflict. And it just takes a little bit like you need you kind of need three acts and some issues. And so um, I try to, I try to channel my inner inner Millar and figure out how much can I explain in a short amount of time, you know, to get people to know like, this is a real bad dude, let's go, (laughs) you know. Yeah, and I hope I'm not getting into spoiler territories, but I really found it, it felt very cinematic, but also felt very like, like limited series in like a good way mm-hmm. that you sort mm-hmm. of switched POVs in issue four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, uh, that really ramps up the stakes mm-hmm. in issue four, like, you know, to towards like a resolution, because now we understand this new character, and their involvement with the world at large and it adds that extra threat which is great mm-hmm. i think i think it's twofold and um like there's two there's two sides to every story and a lot of people are kind of uh you know mixed on whether you humanize the villain or not but uh i think that the villain's goal is to civilize the uncivilizable and the hero's goal is is it is an anarchy but it's not far off and uh the correct answer might lie in the middle of those two, but like you can't take away freedom of choice. By the same token, people need some structure. And so it's kind of the push and pull between those two forces, I think. It's kind of, uh, I've not watched much of it, but it sounds a lot like Eon Flux. Oh. With, uh, uh, the two characters in that. Yeah, Eon Flux is wild. It took me a bit. Um, they definitely are tied together by a string. Uh, Eon Flux always has that weird gimmick where. Uh, main character dies and i thought that was kind of cool yeah <laughs> yeah um not, not, that's not giving away the ending to never ender though. i'm just gonna look off in the distance who knows you <laughs> 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 have to read to the end to find out uh that's awesome um so uh what's uh so never ender you know you're gonna have like a huge three issue finale what's uh what's what's next in the pipeline then is it 
is it more Neverender or is it, uh, what, what's the, what's the next comic you're working on? I've got a pitch. Uh, so kind of coincidentally, like my first customer ever at a uh, Comic-Con uh, makes games and uh, him and his friends put out a game like right after college. And we collaborated on this story um, for a game. And like, it's kind of been the last thing that stuck with me. And it's kind of like snowballs. Like that's kind of gathered, you know, more momentum and more energy um and it's closer to falling to earth than any other stories so um it's with his permission that's the thing that we're still kind of trying to figure out like you know will he edit do i take it i've got a lot of thoughts on it um but it's his idea initially so i want to make sure that i like honor all of that but um that's the thing i'm closest to I actually just at san diego comic-con i went to a whole bunch of panels on pitching and so i might put together a pitch on it uh shop it around first but like i can't see unless something else kind of comes to the side that i'm more excited about it's probably a four issue story um that would be my next thing something much more manageable you know maybe a 96 page story with four different chapters um but that's the next thing I'm kind of eyeballing. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I find it impressive that you, that you did silence in what, what was it? What'd you say? Three years, three years. Yeah. Yeah. That's 180 pages. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's impressive. And that's just like, that's just working nights. Right. And we- yeah. Uh, and silence might've gotten, I, I took this job in 2016. Um, so it got the benefit of a few freelance years. Um, but usually with conventions, you work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, you probably spend Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday prepping. So, you know, Monday, Tuesday, maybe Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you have to like recover and get some work done. Um, you know, and, and weekends without conventions. So, um yeah i mean they're all they're all colossal undertakings uh and hopefully they find audiences you know yeah i think they will i mean sing is i'm sorry it's not sing sorry silence is beautiful um from what i've read so thank you thank you yeah. i i originally wanted to call it sirens um oh. and that george perez book sirens came out and i'm like fine uh. so uh, <laughs> you know ain't that Ain't that how it always is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're recording this on uh, Wednesday, the the twenty seventh of, of July. Today was the release of one of the the issues, right? Mm-hmm. Issue three came out today. Did you did you go to the shop to to look at it uh, on the shelf or anything or? No, and I want in? to. I. Uh, uh, between coming back from San Diego Comic-Con and prepping for A-Fest, um, I came back at lunch, kind of continued unpacking and <laughs> getting some stuff ready and then, uh, came back. I'm still kind of dealing with jet lag from Cali. So, um, I need to go to the shops. I want to be more produ- proactive about like going and signing. I, I did a bunch of signings for issue one, but like, I want to be more proactive about stopping in local shops and like helping signing their issues and stuff. But, um, I have just been worked. So you at least got to do it for for issue issue one, right? You you went there on on release day and, and saw it uh, on the on the shelf with all the other books, right? Oh yeah, I got uh, issue one. I I did. Um, it's kind of crazy. So it sold out at a distributor level, which was really cool. Um, there was a shop that like ordered a lot of copies, and they're like they're like, well, you definitely come into our shop to do a signing because like we ordered a lot of copies, right? And I was like I was like, oh yeah, I'll be I'll be anywhere like 
you know, thank you guys so much. And they, uh, I went to the signing and they sold out of all the over, you know, like they ordered for a signing, they sold out of that. And then fortunately, I think they were able to get that next shipment in the morning of that signing. But uh, for like a second there, it was like, well, bring your own <laughs> copies and see what you can sell. So that's awesome though that's gotta be uh and we we talked about this over messaging but this has been you know at least 10 years of your life right working at comics and to sort of now sort of get the 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 publisher that's got to be a relief and like feel like it's a reward at the end of working Mm -hmm. so hard on your own doing everything getting it published kickstarted and everything it it's definitely like it's a mix of a relief it's also like i feel like i'm at the foothills of a bigger mountain Mm. um there's a whole lot of like you know i think comics are like film or like if you if you're an actor uh in movies like you might have had like a hit but it's like okay where can you be next where you know where can you help people where do people need you um so i'm trying to figure out like what like hopefully i get to keep doing it um i'd love to keep doing books with behemoth uh, once this is kind of closer to being through, I'll probably pitch them first, but um, I'm trying to figure out how to build better relationships with, uh, you know, retailers, build better relationships with publishers, um, build better relationship with podcasters. Like I'm trying to figure out how I can kind of best help everybody um, and continue to tell stories. That's awesome. Very cool. So um, let's do this um, as we close up. Noah, do you have any uh final thoughts or any uh, final questions for Devin? So many, but that means hopefully Devin will come back and talk about, yeah, that's, talk about his next books. That, that was, that was the plan there. So the yeah. hook him in for, hook him in for more. Yeah. Be an honor. Awesome. So let's, let's do this, Devin, as we close up, let's let people know the best places to, to follow you uh, online to stay up to date with, with everything you're working on. Okay. Uh, I'm most active on Instagram. Uh, my handle is at Cheshire Cat Art, C-H-E-S-H-I-R-E-C-A-T-A-R-T. Uh, Twitter, for whatever dumb reason, my at Devin Craft does better than my at Cheshire Cat Art. <laughs> so uh, I have both, but at Devin Craft is where I'm a little bit more active. Um, I have a TikTok that I am working to figure out how to use, but uh, <laughs> um also at Cheshire Cat Art, you could pretty much kick that into any anything with the social media and you'll probably find me. Very cool. And let's just do this as we close up. Um, can you give us, I know you gave us a bit of an elevator pitch uh, of the book, you know, Never Ender that's from Behemoth, but let's just, let's just talk about this a little bit more because, you know, it's very important for somebody who is at a, a you know, a smaller publisher. It's not the big two. It's not DC, it's not Marvel, it doesn't have Spider-Man or Batman on the cover. So let's talk a little bit about the importance of, uh, you know, going to previews and, and pre-ordering the book and letting the shop know that, uh, that they want it. You know, you explained earlier that like issue one was sold out at distributor level and, you know, you went to the signing and there was, you know, some question asked to if there was going to be copies there. So you want to talk a little bit about the, the importance of telling your shop that you want this book? Yes, no, that's absolutely key. Um, it's not, most shops won't, uh, not preemptively, but mo- most shops won't order it by nature. It has to be something that they saw in previews uh, and thought, you know, caught their eye. Uh, so if you ask your local shop, it's sold out at a distributor level, but um, 
I'm not sure if they like pull more copies of issue one. There's definitely digital copies online, but asking your shop to order future issues uh, would be key. I also have a recap at the beginning of each issue. So if you're jumping in at two or three, um, you can kind of get up to speed fairly quickly. Uh, digital copies are of course available, um, but telling your local comic shop to add it to your pull list means that you'll you'll get it, but they need to know a few months in advance. Mm -hmm. So currently I think five and six are up for pre-order. Um, four might still, I think four might still have some time before the, the final order cutoff date is done. Actually, I think that just passed, but five and six are definitely up for pre-order. Um, and then if you can't find it, there's still copies on the aftermarket. Uh, so, you know, anywhere you can get a hold of it, please do. Yeah. And one of the things with like pre-ordering is, is hopefully if you're, uh, you know, at a smaller publisher, um, you know, if one of the people who goes to an LCS, you know, tells their, you know, shop owner that they want the book and maybe a, a second person comes in and there's a little bit of a buzz that shop owner might go, you know what, I've had three of my loyal customers come in and say they want this book. You know, maybe I should grab three or four or more for the, for the shelf. So that's, that's another thing that makes pre-ordering, uh, you know, so important. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, anyone who does pick them up and enjoys them, the back of issue two has like a sign-up form for the uh, fictitious dueling league. So if you send mm -hmm. that in, I'll try to find a way to work your fighter into uh, a future story um, if I get the chance. So. Oh, cool. I was wondering. Okay. I didn't, yeah. I missed that part because I saw the sign up and I was like, okay, well, yeah. that's what I'm doing after this interview. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I was just talking to a guy on Instagram. I didn't make that public. I did for the Kickstarter, but um, I had one guy fill it out. He's in issue four or yeah. Issue four at the beginning. If you read the harmonic scalpel, uh, there was oh. like a doctor who like filled it out and he's like, this is the guy, this is his fighting style. <laughs> and I was like, all right. Like, Rad. so okay. what are the fighting styles? Uh, so they're basically different uh, styles of like not martial arts, but sort of sword play or weapon play. Okay. Um, the government kind of has a vested interest in one in particular. So if you choose that, you're likelier to go higher as a fighter. Um, like that's not public information, but that's kind of the, the buzz on the street. It's a state sponsored style and it's a dictatorial uh, society. So if you choose that, you're more likely to end up in the higher ranks um, because they're trying to show how good the Huntington style is. But, um, you know, just kind of a variety of different ways to approach the blade, you know. So if I did like tiger style, yeah, yeah. does that count? Hit it, hit it, hit it. You can write one in. My, uh, I had my dad invent a fighter. I signed uh, some issues for him last week and uh, he loves bears. So I gave him this character that just like fights with bears. Because all you have to do is cut the other dude's suit open. So like, if you're willing to boost around, right? Like it's not necessarily like a ground fight. Like if you can get under someone and just scratch their heel, you nice. know? Well, I'm just like, a Wu-Tang fan. Oh, heck yeah. That's why. So I chose Tiger Style. Tiger Style. Tiger Style. Yeah. I'm, I'm for it. Yeah. ODD. Awesome. <laughs> Very cool. So let's 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 talk about uh, um, penciling you in for for another podcast with uh, with future issues. You know, certainly these these three that are going to involve the, the the tournament fighting style would be great to check in with you again okay. at that point and uh, you know talk about you know again the importance of, of pre ordering these books. Um, really cool, uh, Devin. It was great meeting you at at HeroesCon. 
yeah we were able to to establish this connection though you know the book is really awesome yeah thank you guys for having me on the show no problem so for anybody listening if you give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use we really appreciate it you want to follow the the podcast we're on twitter and that is at construct com pod uh instagram is constructing comics pod and facebook is constructing comics there will also be a link to a kickstarter for superior sam everybody needs a home that's a book that's uh on kickstarter right now um noah's lettering that book and i am helping out as the co-publisher um if you're listening to this at the time that it comes out you're gonna have to act fast because we're entering our last three or four days so uh you know, check it out uh, sooner rather than later. Um, but once again, I just want to thank everybody for listening. Please be safe, be nice to each other, and go out there and make some comics. Thank you. <laughs>